text for this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the Word of God. Paul, called and as, a, as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, we ask now that you would grant us understanding of your word. Be with each heart in this sanctuary and change us forever by the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's that time of year when we make our resolutions. Are you ready? This is here. This is, it's it. I mean, this is when we resolve with all of our might to change something in our life. My New Year's resolution has been the same as it's been for the last 30 years. Lose 20 pounds. <laughs> I actually say it to myself every day when I look in the mirror. David, you need to lose 20 pounds. And my doctor told me the same thing. So for 30 years, so I guess that'll be mine again this year because uh, I just can't seem to do it. Um, I noticed too, and I've heard this in the last several years, people now are saying that they have a word. You heard about this? What is your word uh, for this year? And I was telling Katrina, I said, I'm going to have a word for this year. I think my word this year is going to be boundaries. And she said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a, uh, a really great word. Yeah, boundaries. And then we, we started talking and just uh, as things have unfolded over the last, uh, I don't know, several weeks, we decided, well, maybe our word, we have the same word and it's whatever. <laughs> whatever. You know, there's so many things in this world that you can't control, so we just decided, you know, whatever. But it's big, man. It's big. The teens are over. It's a new decade. I heard they're calling this decade the Roaring Twenties. Really? I mean, that's the last century, isn't it? And that's what they called the Twenties in the last century, the Roaring Twenties. I figured they'd come up with something better, but no. Um, the Roaring Twenties. But what's your resolution? What's your, what's your word? How are you going to be better in 2020? Um, if you're a Christian, it's hard to imagine changing much more than you have. You know, think about it. You've gone from death to life. You've gone from darkness to light. You've gone from sinner to saint from being without hope and without God in this world to being a child of God. You've done a complete 180. And you have a new heart. God has removed your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh that, that beats for Him and exercises faith and, and all of those things. Um, and this is what we see in the life of, of the Apostle Paul. He went from a persecutor of the church to God's poster child for a changed life. I mean, to this day, and I've said it, you know, people say, I had a Damascus Road experience, or I had a Damascus 
road conversion. And that's what people used to say of me too. I mean, it was radical, right? Paul's conversion was radical. Really, all of our conversions are radical. You know, maybe it doesn't involve being struck by a great light and falling to the ground and being blind and saying, who are you, Lord, and all of that. But in reality, all of our conversions are Damascus Road conversions and are radical conversions because of the reasons I said. From death to life, life, from darkness to light, from sinner to saint, from being without hope and without God in this world to being a child of God. Paul went from a persecutor of the church to God's man. From a murderer and a persecutor of the church to God's mouthpiece. Uh, let's, let's, let's take a look at Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, because here he introduces himself, says who he is. Um, we're starting a series this morning on the book of 1 Corinthians called Wilderness Living, because we're in the wilderness, right? We haven't gone into the promised land yet. And we'll see this is one of the most practical books in all of the Bible. Paul says a lot of nice things about the Corinthians, and then he schools them, <laughs> which we, we shall see. This covers a, a wide, wide variety of topics and some that are very controversial. Okay, so this, this should be a fun series. But I have two points this morning. The Apostle Paul, and the second point, the saints in Christ, or the writer and the audience, if you will. But let's look at the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 1.1 says this, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So in our culture, in 21st century America, we close letters with, with names, right? The last thing uh, we say is who wrote the letter, who the letter is from. Some of you that get my emails or letters, I usually write love David or love in Christ, David, you know, or Pastor David or whatever. I'm sure you do the same when you write a letter or an email. At the end, you say who it's from and you give some kind of greeting or salutation. Um, so the ancient Greeks opened their letters with the name or names of the writer. And Paul always opens his letters with his name and the name of other church leaders with him here, uh, Sosthenes. And Paul then mentions the addressee, who the letter is being written to here, the church of God, which is at Corinth. So we call it the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, first Corinthians, and then there's another letter, second Corinthians, right? Um, and finally, Paul gives words of, of greeting or blessing here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? Just think about it. I mean, just, just wallow in those words for a second. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of Paul's letters, and he wrote 13 of them, 14 if you include Hebrews, People don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul wrote it. The early church thought Paul wrote it. But anyway, in every one of Paul's 13 letters, which we know he wrote, uh, those letters contain this threefold salutation or greeting. So remember, there's 27 books or letters, if you will, in the New Testament and 39 in the Old Testament. So there's 66 books in the Bible. An easy way to remember it is there's 39 in the Old Testament. Three times nine is 27. 27 in the new. It's easier than doing the math when you're trying to 66 minus 39. What is that? Either way, Paul wrote 13 of those letters that we know of. 
Paul identifies himself here in the first verse. Paul called to be an apostle. Paul was called by God in the midst of his sin. In the midst of killing people and persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. We first see Paul in Acts chapter 7. I want to read from, from that section of Scripture. Acts seven fifty nine through 8, 2. They went on stoning Stephen, young deacon in the church. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Remember, they're stoning Stephen and he looks up and he sees the risen Lord Jesus. Receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What? Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul, that's Paul's Hebrew name or Jewish name, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. They're brokenhearted. That's Paul there killing Stephen. The apostle Paul. Next we see in Acts 9. This is when he's on the Damascus road. This is Acts 9, uh, 1 and 2. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Some of your translations say murderous threats. He's breathing murder. It's, he's he's hell-bent on murder. That's all he thinks about all day, every day, is how I can murder Christians and stop the church. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. Paul wants authority so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christianity, both men and women, he might bring them bound in chains to Jerusalem. No family is safe. It's like Germany in the 40s. Or Korea today. Speaking to the Jewish leaders, Paul says this. This is after his conversion. One of the things that Paul did after his conversion was he gave his personal testimony all the time. You couldn't shut him up. And whenever he got in front of leaders, he wanted to tell them what had happened to him. He's in front of the Jewish leaders here. This is Acts 22, 4 and 5. I persecuted this way to the death binding and putting both men and women into prison, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From then I also received letters, from them I also received letters to the brethren, and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished, to be tortured. It's like a death camp. Paul speaking to King Agrippa. This is kind of lengthy, but I really want us to see this man's life. Why? Because so many of us have done so many things in our life. I've talked to so many people that say, I could never be saved because of the things that I've done in my life. There's no way God could forgive me. You have no idea what I've done. Or God could never use me. God would never use a person like, yes, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, but he would never use me because of my past. Are you kidding me? 
He loves to use broken, messed up people. Paul speaking to King Agrippa, Acts 26, 9 through 18. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, torture, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. While so engaged, as I was journeying, while so engaged, I, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday. O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we, had, when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? You know, some people say, oh, you got to do all this research and figure out whether or not Christianity is true, weigh all the world religions. Yeah. Listen, when... When God wants you, He's going to get you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you as a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of, the dominion of Satan to God. Darkness to light, Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. This is why Jesus is calling Paul among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. What a transformation. From murderer and persecutor of the church to the greatest spokesman for Christ that the world has ever known. His word in 33 AD was transformation. Called as an apostle. Apostolos in the Greek, one sent, an emissary, an envoy, an ambassador, an apostolos, did not speak for himself, but for someone else. Paul was called as an apostle to speak for God, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And there are only 13. You know that? Remember there were 12, and then Judas went off and committed suicide. And then they drew lots between Joseph and Matthias. A lot fell to Matthias. So Matthias replaced Judas. There's 12 apostles. And then Paul, the 13th apostle. 
You realize there are 13 tribes of Israel too, right? Joseph has um, Ephraim and Manasseh. Interesting. Paul is an apostle. What I say to you has been delegated to me by God, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. My message, Paul is telling the church at Corinth and us, my message is God's message. Remember Peter and Paul? Peter, Peter goes to the Jews. Paul goes to the Gentiles. Remember they had some, they had some run-ins. A little, you know, Paul had to rebuke Peter because he was withdrawing, remember, and just eating with the Jews and all that. This is what Peter writes in his second epistle, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. He's going to talk about Paul. In regard to the patience, in regard, in regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Even Peter thought <laughs> Paul's writings were hard to understand. Which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. Paul the Apostle spoke for God and his words are God's words. His words are Scripture. They're on par with the words of Jesus Christ. It's God-breathed. The Bible is inspired by God. It's God's Word. That's why when I read it up here on Sundays, I say, this is the Word of God. The sender is Paul, and those receiving the letter are the saints in Christ at Corinth. That's the second point, the saints in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1-2 says this, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. This whole greeting is incredible. This letter is from the Apostle Paul and Sosthenes to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The church doesn't belong to Corinth. It's God's church. It's God's church for that town, for that city, we are the church of God in Winter Garden. There is no difference between what they were doing at Corinth and what we're doing here in Winter Garden. Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Those guys, well, we'll see. That church was, had a lot of problems. But our charge is the same. God has his church here and now in this theater in Winter Garden, just as he attended, intended before the foundation of the world. The church at Corinth spoke to their generation and their city, and we speak to ours. Continues, Paul continues his description of his recipients. He says, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. He speaks to the individual people at the church of Corinth. You too have been transformed. You too have been born again. You too have been born from above. You too have new life. You too have a new heart. Transformation. You too have met the Lord on the Damascus road. You have been sanctified, he tells them. Past tense. Hagiatso uh, in the Greek, in the original language, it means set apart. He's saying, you are holy. 
Every Christian is a set-apart person or holy, set apart from the world for God's purpose. And we are made holy or righteous in Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't sin, but that Christ's righteousness has been given to us and we are reckoned or deemed holy. This is why Paul also calls us saints. Hagias, saint, it's the same root word. It means set apart one or holy one. Saint is just another name for Christian. It's not a pious, self-sacrificing Christian who has been canonized by some ecclesiastical council. Every Christian is a set-apart person, a holy one, a saint. That's our position. Now, our practice may be a bit different. Um, Look at our lives. We don't always act like a saint. You know, sometimes we think we, we, we act more like a sinner. That's why Luther said that the Christian is simul justus et peccator. You ever heard that Latin phrase? Simul, simultaneously, justus or justice, righteous, et, and peccator, sinner. Simultaneously, just, and sinner. If someone asks you, are you a sinner or a saint? You can say, yes. <laughs> yes. God sees you as a saint and calls you such and tells you to act like one, to live like one. When you sin and I sin, we act contrary to our new nature. Uh, Romans chapter 6 says that we used to be slaves to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. Um, We are sanctified, the Bible tells us. We are holy, we are sanctified, and being sanctified. So sanctification is both a definitive act of God and a lifelong process. God counts us as righteous, for Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, but we still have our old nature, our old man, plaguing us. Remember what Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. I'm wrestling. I'm struggling. Why do I do the things I hate? Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Why do I keep doing this? There's this battle going on. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that um, that there's a war within us, that the Spirit is warring against the flesh, that sometimes we don't do the things that we want to do. So God sees us positionally as holy, as righteous, for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, credited to our account, given to us, sees us as, as, as holy. And yet at the same time, we struggle with sin because the old nature has not been completely eliminated. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. This is a, a great verse on sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're looking fully into the face of Christ without a veil, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, and day by day is conforming us more and more to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's called sanctification. We find that word in the Bible. That's what God is doing to us. I mean, think about it. We're we're born again. We're born from above. He comes into our hearts. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new life. From death to life sets up residency inside of us and changes us day by day to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. And one of the main tools that God uses to do this is His Word. This is John 17, 17. Jesus says in His high priestly prayer, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. The Spirit uses the Word of God to change us. Hide it in your heart. Read it. Cherish it. Hold on to it. God uses that to change us. Remember, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul ends the second verse of 1 Corinthians 1 with the unity of the worldwide church. I'll just read um, um, the second verse again, 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. We're all saints by calling, and we're all in this together from the first century until now. I mean, you could really think of it from the garden until now. And then finally, the third verse, 1 Corinthians 1.3, the apostle says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. This is a common Christian greeting. One of the apostles' favorite greetings to the saints in all the churches, including Emmaus. Right? We're reading this letter. God has preserved this for us, for this morning. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You are saved by grace. And grace brings the fruit of peace. Grace's fruit is peace. Why? Because we have been reconciled to God, therefore we can have peace. Or what John would say in his, in his first epistle that um, fear has to do with judgment. Perfect love casts out fear. Or to quote Bob Marley, every little thing going to be all right. Don't worry. I mean, wouldn't it be great to believe that? Maybe this year, your word should be peace. Maybe you're all tied up in knots. A lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. And as a matter of fact, if you start thinking of all the things that could go wrong, you just want to crawl in a hole and die. Grace and peace, shalom, to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, my brother um, was in AA for many years, and um, 
he would always say, and he's a Christian, you know, but he would always say, let go and let God. That's the thing we say at AA, let go and let God. You know, but some of those little pithy sayings are, are good. It really is the way to have peace. We don't have to worry about judgment. We've been reconciled with God. And then we have this day-to-day stuff going on, which is eating us alive, crippling us so that we can't have any joy in life. This is what the, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. That, that's an imperative. That's a command. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Would you rather have those four words or $10 million in the bank? Well, which would give you more peace? Be anxious for nothing, but instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Give it to God. Let go and let God. You really can live that way, but it's a daily thing. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to finally have peace? I'll close with a verse. I'll close with, it's one of my favorite Bible verses from the famous passage from Proverbs about being an excellent woman or an excellent wife. It's a, it's a great summary. I just love this. I've meditated on this verse so many times. Um, it's Proverbs 31.25. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she laughs without fear of the future. Some translations say, or smiles at the future. Wouldn't it be great? You could laugh not worrying about the future. Or if you could look at the future and smile. We don't, do we? We wring our hands. Because we don't know. All these things can go wrong. All these things can happen. But we can, brothers and sisters, have peace. And maybe that should be your word for 2020. And maybe just not uh, the first decade of the Roaring Twenties, but all through the decades. Have no fear of the future. We can smile without fear of the future because we have God's grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank You for what you did in the life of the Apostle Paul. And here we hold uh, your word in our hands, your Bible, and he, you used him to communicate about you. Um, most, you used him to write most of the New Testament. Um, and we just take a snapshot of his life. We just read a few passages about who he was and what he had done and how evil he was and what a murderer he was and how he persecuted you know he he persecuted you and your church 
and yet you saved him on that Damascus road. And Lord, you've done the same for us. And when we look over our lives and all the horrendous things we've done, we think that we can't be saved or we can't be used or we don't measure up. But you tell us different. So thank you for that. Thank you for this amazing gospel, Lord. Let us rest in it and truly have peace um, as this uh, as this new year comes. And uh, for the rest of our lives, Lord, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.